It's the Auburn Observer Podcast, the weekend edition, the recap edition for the first time this season. Let's talk about an actual game that happened. Justin Ferguson right here in Auburn, Alabama. Painter Sharpless, uh, usually in parts unknown, uh, had a prior engagement this weekend, um, uh, an important thing for him and his family. So he is not on this podcast, so we had to tag in a professional. We could only get the very best. If you're going to miss Painter's golden voice, we had to get somebody with equally golden pipes as well. Uh, You have heard him on the drive on ESPN 106.7 in town. Uh, I hope you follow him on Twitter at Daniel Allen Peck. Uh, He is uh, is one of the very best and was in the press box uh, Saturday night for Auburn and Mercer. Always good to talk to our buddy Dan Peck. Dan, Welcome to the show. Let's talk some Auburn Mercer. Justin, thank you so much for having me. I'm I'm thrilled to make a return visit to your your excellent show. I'm I'm so proud of uh, what what the Observer's been able to become. Uh, you're doing a great job, and and I'm uh, yeah I'm hoping I'm not going to ruin things here in the first uh, first game of the season. You definitely won't. You definitely won't. And for those of you who may be a little bit new to this, um, Dan, as I like to say when we have him on, Dan is actually huge reason why a the auburn observer exists and b why it's called the auburn observer this this name was his idea uh going back to our shared love of professional wrestling and dave Meltzer's uh really foundational uh wrestling observer newsletter uh dan just said hey why don't you just do that for auburn football after uh you know got laid off from the athletic and uh here we are year three underway season three underway uh, for us, and let's jump right into it, uh, Dan. Uh, the I don't even know if we want to call it a controversy, but the, the situation at quarterback for Auburn, it only took four plays <laughs> into the year for everybody to be like, hmm, all right, what about, what about the other quarterback? And uh, Robbie Ashford uh, getting in there uh, early and then, uh, you know, honestly, just having the better day overall uh, compared to T.J. Finley. And Auburn's 42-16 win over Mercer. We'll talk about a lot of different angles from this, but we've got to lead off with the good stuff, uh, the quarterbacks. Uh, Dan, what did you think about the way Auburn used their two quarterbacks, the fact that Ash- we saw Ashford so early, and kind of where Auburn – where you think Auburn might be going from here? Uh, because it was a very, very – you know. This was not a boring opener, as I wrote in the observations. This is not just kind of like, hey, straightforward, paint by the numbers, we beat an FCS team, move forward. This, There's a lot of intrigue that's going to be coming out of this game, even more than what we probably expected coming in. I think it's it's interesting because it starts with – the first name you mentioned was Robbie Ashford, and you would have thought that the first name you mentioned is T.J. Finley because he starts – You know, he's, he's the starting quarterback. He's the one who – who won the competition, and I do think part of the story is how T.J. played. Uh, the good and the bad of T.J. Yeah. Finley's first half is really important in sort of dissecting where Auburn goes from here. But clearly the plan was for Robbie Ashford to see the field uh, for an extended period of time last night so that they can make sort of a more educated decision about what this offense needs to look like moving forward. I thought T.J., uh, had some really impressive moments. I thought there were times yeah, when I agree. Uh, th- there were a couple of throws: the the deep ball uh, to Var, uh, the I thought I thought the pass to Schenker, the incomplete pass right before the first interception 
uh, looked like a really nice pass that, that traveled some distance and, and had to fit into a, uh, a relatively small space. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. I, I thought there were there were some things to like. Unfortunately, it's probably overshadowed by the first interception and especially the second interception because I think Brian Harson and company wanted to put T.J. Finley in a position when the second half started to go out there and have a solid drive and really make a statement that this is still his team and his job, even if you're about to see Robbie Ashford a lot. Instead, TJ threw what was probably his worst pass of the game on that interception in the second half, and it made it only a more open question as far as where the offense goes from here. And the thing with TJ's interceptions is that this this game finished 42-16. Mercer scores late to cover, uh, which might have been important to some of y'all. Um, but I will I, I will note that uh, you know, TJ's two interceptions directly affected the scoreboard. Mercer scored a touchdown on a short field immediately after his first one. And on a second one, if you remember, was picked off in the Mercer red zone. This was a really good drive. This is a good third-quarter drive that Auburn had that they were about to put even more points up on the board. And so the game looks differently in the final score because of those two plays. And also, you know, TJ Finley only threw one interception last season, only one. It was in the Iron Bowl. This was not necessarily – you can talk about his accuracy issues and, and, and all that, but, like, this this was not something he necessarily struggled with a lot last year. Um, and so for him to have those two throws, I asked him after the game, Auburn made both quarterbacks available, which I thought was pretty impressive. Um, I, I didn't know if I was necessarily expecting that. I asked Finley after the game, hey, what happened on those interceptions? He kind of talked through it. First one forces it into double coverage, trying to trying to fit it in there, trying to make a play, um, you know, forced it, as he said. Second one, coming off his back foot a little too much, underthrows uh, the ball, gets picked off, um, just not a good throw. And so those things are, those things are fixable. You know, it wasn't like, you know, T.J. Finley – First, he had one incompletion, Dan, and then he completed his next eight in a row. And they were good throws. The touchdown to um, John Samuel Shanker. You mentioned the Javarius Johnson uh, ball that was really nice. Had, had some really good first downs in there as well. I think five of those eight completions went for first downs. So, I mean, I, I think what you said right there at the beginning is very important. He had his good moments. He had his moments where he, okay, he looked like – he was, you know, taking that step forward. It's just those two throws, those two bad misses that were interceptions and maybe a couple other plays is just going to stick out in the minds of a lot of people. Um, but I think it's important to remember, like, he, he had his good moments. And I, going off of what Brian Harson said after the game, what he was pleased about with both of his quarterbacks were some of the stuff we heard all month in August leading up to this was operations – you know, Auburn didn't really have any you know, delayed games or, you know, any real bad, like, the quarterback didn't get him in the right spot kind of penalties. And for Brian Harson and this team, I think that's going to be very, very important. Um, so, yeah, I, I I, really – I came out of that game thinking, like, you know, Ashford looked like the better quarterback, but Finley had his moments. And it's kind of like what we saw last season from him to a degree where it's like he had his moments last year. It's just got to be consistency. And now – there's real pressure behind him, you know, for someone to start. There wasn't really any last year after Bo Nix got hurt. Now you've got somebody in Robbie Ashford that I think is going to either push Finley forward or, you know, uh, ultimately take his job. Yeah, I, I, I sort of hijacked 
your your question about Robbie Ashford by talking about no, T.J. Finley, but you're I mean now I think after after breaking down T.J. Finley a little bit now I think it's it's what people are maybe most excited about of, of everything that you got to see for the first time last night, which is Robbie Ashford's debut in an Auburn uniform. Robbie Ashford, I mean we, I think I think folks had had folks had been a, made aware that that he's an exceptional athlete with. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, with with top level speed for a college football quarterback, didn't take long for that to become apparent. You know, for, for Robbie Ashford as a ball carrier to immediately establish himself as, if Auburn wants to go this way, even if he's not the start the starting quarterback, this is somebody who can be a weapon. And, I mean, we'll, we'll see what happens with T.J. Finley, but but Robbie Ashford made, I mean, I mean, he he made enough plays to be in the picture moving forward. I, I thought that the uh, the 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 pitch to Tank Bigsby, where on the what a uh, fun play to sign too uh, on the play where Robbie Ashford starts as your slot quarterback. You know we'll, we'll see <laughs> we'll see how much of that uh, you, you get moving forward. But Robbie Ashford with his legs, the deep ball uh, to he, he also had a deep ball uh, to Var who who is beautiful. Al- also one of the I mean Var is one of the stories of last night, right? I mean not not again Absolutely. again not to veer the conversation away from Robbie Ashford. But, no. but Var is somebody who, in a in a in a group of receivers where you wondered, you know, would it be somebody from last year's team? Would it be somebody from the the, the group of players that that jumped into the program? Uh, would it be one of the true freshmen? You know, Var is somebody that immediately and and correct me if I'm wrong. Dawson started last night, right? Yes. It was it it wasn't yes. it wasn't Javarius Johnson first up at that position, but. And, no. and Dawson made a couple of impressive-looking plays, too. I mean, that's somebody who I think we're going to continue to see going forward. But, yeah, I, I thought there were some, some nice moves by the receivers. That deep ball uh, to Var from Robbie Ashford uh, probably stands out as Ashford's best-looking pass. I thought there were ups and downs with Ashford as a passer, sure. especially yeah. after the lightning delay. I thought there were a couple of plays on that drive they gave him. And, and you got to be careful b- breaking down what you saw after a 90-minute delay too right. Mm-hmm. I mean, on on top of the fact yeah. that this is Auburn versus Mercer, you know, when when you pull both the teams off the field for ninety minutes, I don't know if you saw Mercer's best effort on that Tank Bigsby touchdown run to begin no. to to begin the play after. I think the, you saw Tank's best effort, but yeah, yeah. I mean, and and I, I we we can get to the running backs too because that's sure you know in, in sure. the, with with uncertainty all over the roster, that's one place where I feel pretty certain about at least one guy and maybe. Maybe more than one guy at the running back spot on on the roster right now. But what what did you think, uh, good and bad, about what you saw to Robbie Ashford last night? Yeah, the good definitely was the running immediately. You know, he came into the game and really changed from early on. It's like, oh man, this guy's got something that Auburn hasn't had in a minute. You know, as, as good of a runner Bo Nix was, um, this dude can really stick his foot in the ground and accelerate. Um, he's got great speed. I'll tell you one thing, and I'm sure I'll tweet this right after we get re- get done recording. Uh, pointed out to me, I think my brother texted me about this, and then Nathan King late, late last night pointed out as well. Go back and watch that Tank Bigsby touchdown run right after the third quarter. Right after the third quarter, Robbie Ashford is sprinting up the field and laying out a guy up the field, and then trash talking him on the way down, which uh, which was a, a nice little flare on it. But like. He moves really, really well. Um, he's a great runner. Here's the thing, Dan. We talked about this, I know, heading into this game. 
But, like, you could not see that out of Robbie Ashford in fall camp because, A, you'd never seen him in live competition before. This was his, this his collegiate debut, which might be hard to believe. And number two, if a quarterback can't get hit, you can't see what – you can't get the full Ashford effect there because in fall camp, he breaks a run like that as soon as anybody gets near him. Up, oh, boop, we're done. You know, it just blow, blow the whistle dead. His second run – I thought he was about to house it, you know, a really, really good run. And they opened it up for him um, and let him kind of just really affect the game with his legs. Uh, looks really, really effective. Now, there were some moments, there were a couple runs where it did not work out. It did not go well uh, for him. Um, and then the throws, the dime to Javarius was great. He had a couple other really good short throws. If I he had three incompletions, I remember one of them being a drop. There might have been two of them being drops. Now that I think about it, um, but well, yeah, but you know, obviously you got to go back and watch what all happened there uh, with that. Uh, he, he looked really, really good, and um, you know, I, I don't know if he's necessarily some, and, and he's not going to be. You know, Brian Harson after the game said, "Hey, TJ's our starter. We'll continue to evaluate." But like, he has proven that he, you know, in one game. And one, and one half, really, is like, hey, he needed to be the guy. And then when Finley threw his second interception, Auburn side of the game in hand, they let him run the offense. It wasn't just, hey, man, come in here and do it, be a gadget, be this part of the game plan where you're, we're going to use you as a runner. He got to run the real deal offense. And so it's going to be interesting to see what they do moving forward. Um, rode about earlier this week, or I guess last Monday. But Robbie Ashford playing some. This is not new territory for Brian Harson and his staff. Um, you know, he has seen and, and experienced a two-quarterback system working, so he's one of the few coaches that I think has been able to make it work. And a fun little note, uh, Friday night I'm covering the Auburn High game. Davis Harson is the backup quarterback for Auburn High. He, his own son is currently in a two-quarterback system that's trying to make it work. Obviously different levels of competition, but, like, it looks like something that, that that could definitely definitely work. And I just Ashford brings just another dimension because as much as Finley, I think, earned the starting job and, and looked good at his high points, you know, on Saturday night against Mercer, you know, there's just stuff with that Ashford can do. I mean, he threw the best he threw the best deep ball of the game and he and he affected so much as a runner that it's 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 definitely going to be something where they're going to have to use him moving forward. And I think Eric Keesaw and Brian Harson are two coaches that have seen it work in the past. And since Auburn's schedule is the way it is, at least for another week, we'll make it a lot easier for that to happen. They, they get the opportunity. Certainly they get, they get the, the chance to, um, to, to, to find a way to, to figure out how to make this work, at least before they start playing – Power Five opponents, teams like mm-hmm. uh, teams like Penn State, Missouri, LSU, on the schedule that they'll evaluate. Portland State and San Jose State played a, a competitive game last night, uh, and and uh, so so they get a little bit of Thursday film night. Uh, Thursday night. That's right, over the weekend, and and they get yeah. to evaluate sort of what what to uh, what to make of of how uh, of how yeah. Uh, if I'll say something real quick, Portland State should have won that game. I think they turned the ball over three or four times. San Jose State needed a late drive to win that game, and that drive had a lot of Portland State turnovers in it. So, like, it was not a good effort from San Jose State out of the gate. So, like, 
It's going to be very interesting to see what that team looks like. But, yeah, go ahead. But as far as Robbie Ashford goes and, and what this team is going to do, I mean, I, I still think that there is some – I, I always got the feeling when Brian Harson talked about this in fall camp that there's some trepidation about letting Robbie Ashford be the permanent first-team quarterback, right? There are some – there, there would be some growing pains or there would be some – because it seemed like whenever he complimented Robbie Ashford compared to T.J. Finley in the offseason, it had more to do with Robbie Ashford's physical tools or the things that he was seeing. Later on it became Robbie Ashford's getting a little bit better at running the offense. He's getting better as a passer. But first it was more, you know, wow, what this guy can do you know, really, really jumped off the page. And sure enough, last night what Robbie Ashford could do really jumped off the page immediately, but maybe there's some uh, concern about what the results would be if Robbie Ashford was the first-team quarterback against a good defense. At the same time, there's probably some concern right now about what the results will be with T.J. Finley as the first-team quarterback against a good defense. You know, for, for Finley, the first interception, I wasn't crazy about that play call. The, the first interception to close the first half, I mean, that's third and 18, 28-0 game. It's pretty late in the first half. You're deep in your own territory. You know, th- that feels like a give-up draw, sort of, and, and live to mm, punt. Or a screen yeah, or that, that like feels, that, yeah, that feels like an option to, you know, that, that's probably not, you know, you don't, you don't throw one with a, high, with a, a reasonable chance of being intercepted. You know, you, you take that out of the, out of the quarterback's hands. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna sugarcoat the second interception, right? If you if you want a defense of the second interception on by, by T.J. Finley, it would be the good news. There is, it's a throw that a confident quarterback makes. Like it's it's a it's you yeah. know, it's a ball that travels a decent length, and he's got to fit it into a spot. It, it it didn't didn't get where he wanted it to be, and it seemed off no. from from the moment it left his hand. Uh, but yeah. but I I again. Don't want the performance of Robbie Ashford and the two turnovers by T.J. Finley to overshadow some of the progress that I thought we saw T.J. makes. Although there's still there's still room to grow uh, from 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 the from the quarterbacks, and, and that's probably true of both quarterbacks, right? Of both of both oh, T.J. Yeah. and Robbie. Oh, yeah. There's there's mm-hmm. some things that you come out of that game thinking, well, if they, if they get a little bit sharper, that this could be a weapon. I am more convinced now than I was before the start of last night's game that they could seriously try to play two quarterbacks all season long, especially if Finley makes a compelling enough argument that he needs yeah. to be the the first-team quarterback. That they, they might continue to, to look at Robbie Ashford as somebody who can provide a jolt for this offense off the bench, even if he's not starting. Yeah, Brian Harson said it after the game. I thought it was interesting. It was in relation to like how the team did, and he was talking about there's a lot of stuff to improve. There's a lot of stuff you can clean up on. You do a lot of improvement between week one and week two. But he also said something I thought was interesting that he was like, you know, most teams don't get settled in until after about week four. Then you really kind of know who you are. Well, the good news for Auburn is that your first four games, your first five games are all at home, right? And you have this escalating degree of difficulty where you play, uh, you play Mercer and then San Jose State and then Penn State. And then Missouri, so I think they will take the next couple of weeks, not two if not three weeks, to like figure it out and like make it happen. Now, 
I think if there's a game against San Jose State next week where it's clear that one of those quarterbacks is far and away better than the other, say, say it's Robbie Ashford, maybe that changes some things a little bit. But I don't know, Dan, like for a two-quarterback system with a new offensive line, new center, right, I didn't necessarily see a lot of issues with the going in and out. I, it didn't look like Auburn – the flow stuff and it's Mercer. It's Mercer. You have to you have to say that with everything. But th- this team looked prepared for what they had coming. When I talked to some of the offensive linemen after the game, they seemed to be like, "Yeah, you know, they're different guys, but like we were prepared. We were ready for 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 this to happen." And I don't know. I I I I think there's going to be a lot of Auburn fans that come out of that game saying like, "Well, it should be Ashford. Finley shouldn't be the guy again." And it's like I. I don't think that's going to be the case. Like, I, I think I T.J. Think Finley won the starting quarterback job for the reason. But also, that was the first time you've ever seen Robbie Ashford play in a college game, and it was against Mercer. It was against an FCS opponent. But, man, he looked good. He looked better than the starting quarterback did. Um, but he, out, he also has just something about him that's going to make it different. And um, he helps out at, at the run game, and he helped loosen up some of that run game early. And – I guess we'll transition to this, the running game. Nine different guys carried the ball in that game. And I think it was like six or seven after the first drive. They used a lot of sweeps, a lot of little wide receiver stuff as well. Uh, But Auburn, 285 of their 497 yards were on the ground. Heavy run game. You know, last season Auburn threw the ball more than they ran the ball by the end of the season. This game, 41 carries to just 21 pass attempts. Um, We say it on this show a lot. They wanted to establish it. We're establishing the run. We're getting it going. That's exactly what they did in this game. And it wasn't always perfect. There were some times where that offensive line couldn't really create the holes that they needed to, and it kind of got muddied up. Uh, but Tank Bigsby and Jarquez Hunter, when they're playing like that, can create a lot for you. I thought Tank looked incredible creating something, made something out of nothing. Should have had another huge run. Would have put him near 200 yards if they, they got called back for holding. And then I thought Jarquez Hunter, I thought Jarquez's vision, especially on that first touchdown, looked really, really good. This was what we thought Auburn's running, this offense was going to look like. As much as the quarterbacks are going to get a ton of attention, the running backs led the way in this game, and this is what we've heard about all season, all offseason long, Dan. This was going to be the identity of this team, and they, they didn't shy away from it in game one. It, it's a shame that the quarterback controversy is such a key component in analyzing this team right now because in most years when you have a player like Tank Bigsby we would have talked about him a lot more you know mm-hmm. already in breaking down last night's game and just the season in general I've been around the the great tailbacks of the last 20 years yeah. of this yeah. team and you know I can't go back to I can't go back to the 80s or anything like that but I but I, I've been around you know everybody since Rudy Johnson and tanks as good as any of them. Like that's that's I mean, and some some people might raise an eyebrow and say, "Hey, what about no?" Like right now, this Tank Bigsby, mm-hmm. take your pick of any Auburn running back of the last twenty years. I'll put Tank I Bigsby agree. right now up against any of them and feel pretty good about my chances. And so that's the good news, regardless of what the quarterback situation looks like. As long as you've got a healthy Tank Bigsby, they talked about. I know when we got to talk to Cadillac, uh, you know he mentioned, and, and it was a, a talking point throughout the offseason, what uh, 
you know, the other ways Tank Bigsby could be involved in the offense. I really thought that that the, the screen, the uh, the the they, they had a a five wide screen where where mm-hmm. Bigsby caught the ball had had the promise of a big play if if one more guy gets blocked. I mean, on top of the other ways, inside and outside, Tank Bigsby was was running the ball. I mean, that that was that that's a reason to believe you you could have a potent weapon all season long that that keeps you in a lot of football games because you've got a Tank Bigsby and and they don't. And Jarquez is he he was more of a question mark going into this season because he doesn't have Tank Bigsby's track record and the way the second half of the season went last year for Jarquez Hunter I think raised some questions about you know you know was he had something to prove going into this yeah. season and, and going and, yet- and going into last night. And he had off-season knee surgery as well. Right. You know, so he, he missed all the spring and was getting back up to speed in the in fall camp. Right. You know, it was it was uh, the the way the injury impacted his ability to produce in conference play, and the fact that with Sean Shivers moving on, you would have thought there'd be a larger role for a running back alongside Tank Bigsby in this offense. Shout out to Sean Shivers, by the way, and and, and what he was uh, what yeah. he was able to do uh, Friday night after after a scary hit. Early in, in, in that game, Sean's Sean stays in the game. It doesn't just stay in the game. He uh, he scores the scores the game winner. But no, for for Jarquez, uh, yeah, I, I was I was interested in seeing how early uh, Jarquez was involved and and how they were uh, trying to get the ball to him. And he looks, um, I mean, he, he looks he looks ready to produce going into the 2022 season. And um, that's that's something that. As much as you'd like to have, as much as you'd like to have the offense revolve around a player like Tank Bigsby, it's great to have more than one. You need it in this day and age. Oh, yeah. And uh, Tank and 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 Jarquez Hunter uh, looks. I mean, I mean, he he looks like he's making a compelling argument to stay on the field too. Jarquez Hunter three touchdowns. The first three touchdown game any Auburn running backs had since Booby Whitlow had one against Mississippi State. Uh, Jarquez had never had a multi-touchdown game, didn't have one at any point last year. So to, for him to have this coming off of that injury uh, and that, that surgery, I think was huge. Um, that first touchdown run, I thought he had great vision. He's going to be a really good change of pace. Um, you know, I think uh, I think some people early on were, were, were like, you know, why is he getting all these kind of carries down around the goal line compared to Tank? Tank ended up doubling him up in touches. That's not going to be an issue at all. But it's just that, yeah, you got to have that. Got to keep it going. You want to have the freshest running back you can out there to make it happen. Tank, I mean, I'm with you, man. I I I said it when, and I wasn't. I was just a fan watching on TV back when this guy played. But I said early. I think I said during his freshman year. I thought Tank Bigsby had the talent to be the best running back Auburn's had since the guy who coaches him in Cali. And that's to take nothing away from Carrion Johnson or Trey Mason or Ben Tate or any of these other really good running backs over time. But, you know, they had a ton of success. But I think this dude, for what he's doing behind an offensive line that is not the peak of, of Auburn offensive lines by any means over the last 20 years, he looked awesome. And it is Mercer. I'll say that for the 900th time on this podcast. But, man... I mean, some of those runs and, and just refusing to go down, creating something out of nothing, you said it best earlier, I think, Dan. It's like there are going to be times where it's going to help you out a ton this season where you have a Tank Bigsby and the other team does not. Very similar, I think, completely different sports. Very similar, I think, what you had in basketball with Jabari Smith. 
where it's just like there's going to be some times where that dude's going to make a play, and it's just his talent's going to win out more often than not. You just got to keep him healthy, and you got to keep that offensive line continuing to improve in front of him because you don't want to get into a situation like you did last year where towards the end of the year he wasn't quite as effective as he could have been. And in 2004, Cadillac Williams had Ronnie Brown. There, there were there were two yep. running backs that the teams had to worry about. In 2010, uh, Trey, Trey Mason, or no, in 2010, Michael Dyer had Ontario McCaleb. And, and you had a, a two-headed uh, bat, you know, you had, you had a multi-pronged uh, rushing attack. And, and Auburn, it's not just about uh, Tank Bigsby and Jarquez Hunter on the ground. Not only was Damari Alston in the game pretty early for a true freshman, mm-hmm. you also, like you mentioned a little, a little bit earlier, we saw Auburn work on uh, the fly sweep, you know, that, that hot potato yeah. pass, whatever you want to call it. Saw a lot of crossing routes, and we saw a lot of, uh, a lot of plays that would involve a rushing attempt for the receiver when we were able to go out there. I don't know how much of that I'm supposed to say or how much of it's uh, the proprietary as far as what I just right. said. Maybe bleep everything. Redact everything <laughs> I just said uh, for, for the podcast no. listeners. But, I mean, they, they showed it in a, in, a ga- in a week one against Mercer. In a game plan that I thought was pretty vanilla outside of the you know slot receiver sweep triple option play that they ran, um, it was very... It was very vanilla, but, like, I think a base part of this playbook is going to be, you know, Coy Moore getting a touch, Tavares Dawson getting a touch, Malcolm Johnson getting a touch, like, Javarius Johnson getting a couple touches on the ground. And like, that's going to be part of it because, I, you know, I think Auburn's going to want to hit the perimeter, loosen some things up on the edges, um, and, you know, make something, make something happen on the outside to help out that offensive line. And, and just know that between the tackles, Auburn's not at their best that they've been in the last decade or so. But they've got a lot of weapons. And, you know, it's the Boise State playbook, man. Like, it's this – that was the other thing that stood out to me from this game was that this – you know, I wrote about it last week. This team and the roster and its makeup feels like the vision that Brian Harson has for his team. And it's year two. You would expect that, right? He said it last night. You know these guys a lot more this year than you did this time last year. But I also thought with Eric Kesaw calling the plays, this was Boise State Brian Harson to a T. There were so many different personnel groupings, formations. Even though the actual calls, I think, were pretty straightforward outside of the fancy one, um, you, you got something to everything out there. And that's how this team's going to have to attack. Because when you play Alabama and you play Georgia and you play Texas A&M and you play LSU, these are teams that all have, on paper, more talent than you you got to out-scheme them and out-execute them to overcome. Some of the talent gaps are small. Some of them are rather large. Um, and so you roll that out there against Mercer. I thought that was that identity. Go play any NCAA football game and fire up the Boise State offense. You saw that Saturday night, even more so than you did last year. As much as the offense changed last season, there was a lot of Bobo kind of feel to it. This one felt more Harson and, and, and Boise State. And when Brian Harson talks about the more – again, not to – because we're mostly done with the quarterbacks, I think. But but when Brian Harson yeah. talks about the operational aspects of his offense, yep. I, I think it's sort of it's what you just talked about that you could see a different formation on every single play with different personnel groupings, and he needs to trust that his quarterback is going to know exactly who needs to be out there and exactly what everyone's job is, and everyone's going to be able to do that job, and he's going to be able to make sure everything's right before the play, and and then run the play to expectations. And that's where, you know, maybe T.J. Finley at the moment has an edge over 
yeah. every everyone else in that locker room, not just because of of what he you know of, of having the extra year uh, in, in the offense, but but maybe because of the strides that we heard TJ took in the offseason as a as a quarterback and a leader. So that's I, I think that's that the, the point you made wasn't about the quarterbacks, but it's it's an interesting thing to remember when Brian Harson mm-hmm. talks about his quarterbacks is his, his desire is that this offense is going to be uh, an offense with its hair on fire and someone's going to be in motion on every play and you could have and again to get back to those to those rushing attempts, those receivers I think on on top of the fact that it opens things up and, and forces the defense to to take a second look and all the other reasons you hear, you know it's strategic to send somebody in motion before the snap. It also plays to the skill set of these Auburn receivers, right? Because if yes. you hand the ball to Var or Chick or Coy Moore or Malcolm, you've you've got somebody who, if something goes wrong defensively, can make it a very very big play. And you didn't see that. I don't know what the longest rushing attempt by a receiver was last night. So I don't know if you saw that aspect of the offense, the possibility of it turning into a big play. But, but a couple of eight-yard ones, it looks but, like. But refer back to at. refer back to Ontario McCaleb's career at Auburn, right? Refer back mm-hmm. to Eli Stove and, and some of the guys that that Ricardo could, Lewis. Ricardo Lewis. I mean, you've seen players who could take. Uh, who, who could turn that into a big play in an Auburn uniform recently? On top of the fact that Brian Harson's been doing that for a decade plus at different stops in his career. So yeah, I think that's something. I was already bullish about the receivers because I'm. I don't get this way about position coaches, but I'm I'm totally sold on Ike Hilliard. Like I'm, yeah. I'm just I'm in the jar for for Ike Hilliard. You know, hey. all all the way. And and I I liked what I saw out of the receivers for the most part last night. Well, here's the thing. You only have 21 passing attempts in this game. You're getting the ball to your running backs. You're getting the ball to your tight ends. Um, the receivers, I think, if I'm adding it up right here real quickly, um, I think the receivers had they had nine catches as a unit on 10, uh, 10 targets. It might have been 10 or 11 targets. There wasn't a drop from the receivers that I can remember. Somebody maybe would correct me on that, but don't remember a drop being being out there from Mal- the Malcolm did not drop the first pass. I thought that was a misfire by TJ. The first pass of the yeah. game, the incompletion. Um, yeah. I think you could maybe call the Schenker uh, the, the 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 one that right, but when Schenker was going out of down, yeah. yeah, but but I I don't think there was a drop. Nothing comes to mind uh, from yeah. the uh, from the receivers last night. And so you didn't have a ton of opportunities because you weren't throwing the ball very much to get it going, and it was you know. Hitting the slide guys, hitting the go-to guys on the outside. Shed Jackson had four catches for 47. Javarius Johnson had four catches for 117 yards on four targets. Very efficient night for him. A, um, a very a efficient night. There you go. Uh, and, uh, yeah, Chick Johnson with an eight-yard uh, completion from Robbie Ashford that moved the chains uh, when Robbie actually got to you know operate the offense, I think, a little more fully. Yeah, no – but they, they got a lot of guys out there. Xavion Capers was on the field early. Amari uh, Kelly Cam- was on the field pretty early, Jay wasn't Fair. he? Jay Fair. Yeah. Yeah, Jay Fair, Camden Brown. Um, you know, they didn't get targets, and I think there were some Auburn fans, especially with, with a guy like Camden Brown, wanted to see that early on. But, you know, Auburn was heavy run game in this game. Not as many opportunities to kind of do that. But they got those dudes out there, and they got them ready. And I, it was beyond. It I went beyond the game planned. I wonder if they game planned for a downpour, too, because you know, yeah, with the possibility that they might have been playing in a monsoon. Because I, you know, it's amazing, Justin. 
Uh, side note before we get back to breaking down the offense, you mentioned in the observations that I think you made reference to the 2009 West Virginia game. Yeah. That was the last time I was at Jordan-Hare Stadium for a football game before last night. There you go. Hey, so you I'm, brought the rain with you. The rainmaker. The, yeah, you are the rainmaker. Uh, yeah, no, the thing there is uh, – the, the thing there with uh, – one thing I'll say about the the rain, by the way. I said it got – I said it was approaching West Virginia levels. There was a stretch. There was about a minute where it was like buckets coming down. It wasn't like that continuously, but a lot of rain in a, in a short amount of time. Of course, the hour and 27-minute – or, yeah, something like that. Uh, lightning delay. Um, Auburn did not look the freshest on defense coming out of that. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But, yeah, back to the receivers. They got a bunch of different guys on the field and got them out there. Some of those guys for the very first time in those extended uh, minutes. And, yeah, I'm with you. I think one of the best moves, maybe the best move Brian Harson made all offseason was getting Ike Hillier to be his new wide receivers coach. Getting a guy from the NFL, getting a guy who has done it both at – the, both in the NFL level as a coach and a player, I think is going to have a really good effect. And there's some guys like Chick Dawson, like Camden Brown, like some of these other dudes that were not factors or were not even here last year that are going to play a part. And um, and you know, I feel I feel I bad that, that we go deep. I feel bad that we Professor and Marianne Shedrick Jackson too, right? Like he's he's more than just and also Shedrick Jackson in these yeah. situations. Like he started, he got open on a couple of plays. Like I, I mean, I, I think they're still four for four. Yeah, I mean four Shed, for four I mean, in terms of targets. Yeah, you know, just, just you know, just dependable as he's been since he you know sort of became one of Auburn's top options at wide receiver. But but no, I think you're right. You, you'd like to have. It would have been great, you know. 40 or 45 completions and you know you're talking about all these different guys and all the targets they got but Auburn's game plan was one thing and they they still found a way to get uh, a lot of these uh, a lot of these receivers involved in ways where yeah you're, you're you're wondering what what it could lead to in the future I will say this also because I've had a couple people point this out to me already this morning recording this on Sunday morning yeah, 2014 Auburn, Arkansas. There was a monsoon in that game. I just remember that game mostly from the Jeremy Johnson first half. But you're absolutely right, folks. And that was something that I had plugged out of my brain because every time I think of 2014 Arkansas, I think of the start uh, for that one. But, yeah, that was another one that was probably right up there in terms of just the amount of rain and the delay there uh, with that one. And, hey, shout out once again to the fans who stayed back in the student section. You could tell after the game talking to the players that meant a lot of those guys. They they could not uh, – I think it was Killen Zero who said after the game, he was like, look, I did not think anybody was going to be out there when we came back out. He's like, and we could still hear them. It's like it was crazy, um, you know, and they felt the love. So if you were one of those people that braved the elements, good for you. If you, if you didn't and you went back home, Completely understandable. Yeah, no, no, yeah, no judgment for anybody who left during nope, the, uh, the, the lightning delay. But yeah, absolutely. Shout out to folks who stuck around and, and braved the, uh, the the elements for the rest of the game. You mentioned Killian, Tate Johnson getting his first career start last night. You know, I, I Cam thought Stutz as well. Cam Stutz. I thought Tate. Um, th- there was maybe one or two snaps that seemed high, even when yeah. T.J. Finley was was getting it, and, and maybe that's which is tough. <laughs> yeah, I mean, some some of that might be you know you're snapping it to a to a power forward, uh, but uh, no, I, I thought that Tate Johnson for the most part seemed like he held his own in, in in what they called him to do, and and I thought it was telling that they didn't immediately go to the bullpen and try to pull somebody you know put put somebody else 
No. In in, in and the they, and in they the first rotate team center a lot. situation. They rotate a lot. I think shoot, I bet nine or ten offensive linemen got on the field last night. Um Cam Stutt's getting the nod over uh Keandre Jones. They swapped out drives, which we thought was gonna be the case, but for Stutz he gets the honor of getting the start. He talked after the game about how that how important was that that was for him. It's been four and a half years since he's he's had that opportunity to start a football game, which is really cool. I thought he, you know, played well at times. Keandre Jones, uh, I think, laid a pretty key block on that Tank Bigsby uh, touchdown after the rain delay. Um, so that worked out there. We saw Jaleel Irvin at left guard. We saw Brennan Coffey. We saw, you know, a lot of different dudes. But, yeah, Tate Johnson, you had to get him ready because it's, it's important at right guard. But, like, if Cam if – if anything happens with Cam Stutz or, you know, he's not ready or whatever, you know, right, you have Keandre Jones, right? You're, you feel a lot more secure with right guard. Obviously, with left guard as well, with Brandon, Brandon Council. Uh, but center, you you need to be that guy. And I said it earlier this offseason. I think one of – or I guess when we found out that Nick Brahms was probably not going to play this season and it looked like Tate Johnson was going to be in the guy at center, one of the biggest benefits from of Auburn's – or the beneficiaries, biggest beneficiaries from Auburn's schedule the way it's set up is that a guy like Tate Johnson didn't have to get thrown in the fire. He's going to get to work his way up. Next week's going to be a little tougher, you would think, on paper. The week after that will be tougher, definitely with Penn State. The week after that will be an SEC game. So you got an NFL game in Athens. It. You're playing an NFL team, it yeah, seems yeah. like, you know, when you go to Athens yeah. in a couple of weeks. God, so yeah, they, they – oh, man. But real quick, oh, boy, they blasted Oregon. And I thought they would, I thought they would win. I thought they would cover. I thought people were – really over exaggerating how much Georgia lost because it's still Georgia and like they bring everything back. Bo Nix did not have a fun time, but I, I think fortunately for him, Bo's going to have a lot better times playing the teams out in the Pac-12 uh, the rest of the way. Uh, also, Florida, man, what a what a finish there to get to pull it out against Utah. Most of the best defensive players Bo Nix will see all season if he hangs onto that job. We're on the field last night. In, in Georgia uniforms, chasing him throughout the game. So, yeah, that, that's a Death Star that Kirby has built yeah. in, you know, a fully operational Death Star at the moment. Uh, and and, and uh, Stetson's Heisman odds uh, skyrocket, skyrocket. Uh, o- overnight as well. Hey, so man, but, but, hey man you, heard, you heard me say this in the offseason. I thought Stetson was getting overlooked. His bumpers were really good last year. Yeah, Bill, Bill Cameron, my, uh, you know, the, the guiding light, absolute Bill Cameron, is uh, he's, he's somebody. Future, who, future Auburn athletic director, yeah, Bill Cameron. B, BC, BC for AD. Uh, he's, uh, he's somebody who will constantly remind people, you know, they, they like to – shovel dirt on Stetson Bennett and, and say, oh, it's going to be some other quarterback. And uh, Stetson, you know, when, he, when he's right, that's an offense that, that's dangerous. So, but, but anyway, back to, to Tate Johnson. Um, yeah, I think it's great that he, he potentially gets five home starts before he has to take it on the road, even if that road game is in Athens. But, no, I thought there was some promising stuff from, uh, from, from Tate Johnson last night, and it was telling that they didn't really want to take a look at anybody else on the first four or five drives yep. of the game at center. They wanted to give Tate as much experience as they could, which suggests to me that this is a, uh, you know, this this isn't a a short-term solution at center. I think they're they're in it for the long haul potentially with Tate Johnson assuming his production merits that he stays on the field and keeps that job. Uh TJ Finley commended both Tate Johnson and the offensive line after the game for really good communication. 
think he had a couple of like had false starts, had a holding uh, call, but like operationally, keyword for the game, it really really worked for Auburn, and I think the offensive line, again, it's Mercer, you're at home, it's a comfortable environment to play in. Uh, but they did a lot of that well. Now, they're going to have to improve their blocking. They're going to have to do that over time. Uh, but I thought there were a lot of that there, – there were a lot of things that you could do, uh, you know, Saturday night and look a lot less clean with that they did look clean with that's definitely going to stand out, you know, moving forward if they're able to build off of that and just get the confidence, gain the chemistry and all that with your offensive line. Got to got to do a better job of not getting those runs that go for like one or two yards. Didn't get stuffed very often, but there were a good number of one and two yard gains. There are also some big plays as well. You just got to get a little bit more consistent with that running game, and you know Bigsby helps that out a lot. Two thirds of his carries last season were were successful. Uh, you know, in terms of all the definitions that come into success rate, he played really really well. Um, he's you know the offense line is going to have to continue to help those guys out. I I agree completely and i and i wonder i mean we've gone gone away we've gone a while into the show and we haven't talked about the defense very much right and it's right. like it's like that this this is it, it's almost short selling how many yeah. really really impressive players are in it. and I, I have nothing really to add anymore to the offense so i will i yeah, will no. you know, i'll punt to you and allow you to talk yeah. about the defensive standouts on this team here we go we're going to talk defense but first let's take care of some business really really quick and then we'll get into the defensive side of this podcast uh, hi, uh, if you like this podcast and you like this show and you would like more of it, uh, you can just subscribe to the Auburn Observer. You not only get um, twice as much of the podcast with myself and usually Painter, but Dan's filling in today and we, we thank him for it. Uh, you get our preview podcasts that usually run on Thursdays or Fridays. They preview the, uh, the, preview the, the upcoming game, so there will be one coming out this week on San Jose State. Um, but these recap podcasts, these weekend podcasts during football season will always be free. You can get the premium podcast and every newsletter we do and uh, the ever-popular Friends of the Program podcast with Painter, Pablo Escobar, and Dave McKinney. If you subscribe to the Observer, $6 a month or $60 a year, there's a link to subscribe uh, somewhere uh, in your episode description or in your email if you're getting it that way. Um, Sign up. Everything we do gets sent to your email inbox. Every time a new podcast comes out, you will get it emailed to you so you'll know exactly when it drops, and you can read and listen on your own time that way. Um, you can also help us out for no money at all by uh, helping us out on Apple Podcasts, giving us a review. Um, if you have Apple Podcasts, just search the Auburn Observer, click the Auburn Observer, scroll down to write a review, uh, drop in five stars, say something nice, and we will read it on the air. We've got two more to do this time. This is from Dr. – I'm going to say Dr. Valley is probably the, probably the right way to say it. Said, I've been listening to this for a while. Let me tell you, this podcast has more fun than Pat Dye's pants, is thicker than Takeo Spikes' neck, smoother than Charles Barkley's golf swing, more versatile than Gus Malzahn's toaster, uh, more entertaining than, I think it says Wilson, Winston Shy, she's recollection of the kick six, and is a better ride than the worst mascot story ever told. Every time they release a new episode, it has me dancing like Dennis Wallace, War Eagle. So thank you, Dr. Valley, for that. Very, very kind. And then MA City Tiger, Tiger. Look, all we got, all we ask you to do is get us five stars and write something. It can be anything. And MA City Tiger just says top-notch five stars in their review. That's just as helpful of a review for us. But the reviews help us out a ton. It helps more people find the show. 
Um, it does a lot for all the numbers and the analytics and stuff like that. So give us five stars, write a review if you're listening to us on Spotify. Or if you are on Spotify, you can also give us five stars that way. Uh, just search the Auburn Observer. Finally, Homefield Apparel is the number one place to get collegiate vintage apparel. The most comfortable t-shirts, sweatshirts, hoodies that you're going to find anywhere. You can find them at Homefield Apparel. Uh, and, uh, man, I saw quite a few Homefield uh, things out and about uh, on campus Saturday, which is always good to see. Um, as we've been doing the last few weeks, I pick out a random Auburn T-shirt uh, product to uh, to give you the hard sell for uh, from the home field collection. This week, I'm going to go with da 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 da. I'm going to go with this Auburn. It's a throw. It's called the Throwback Auburn Orange Auburn shirt on home field, but it is a classic Aubie. He's looking real pensive, maybe a little intimidating, and he's and he's leaning leaning with his arm propped up on an A. He's got a nice sweatshirt that says Auburn on it. He's looking re- looking real intimidating. It's on a nice orange shirt, uh, navy print. Really really comfortable. Um, it'd be a great addition to your game day gear or anything else that Homefield uh, offers. Um, if you want to go ahead and get ready for whenever it inevitably gets cold, which feels like it's going to be a long time from now after what we experienced yesterday. Uh, but uh, you can get that at homefieldapparel.com. 15% off your first order if you use the promo code OBSERVER when checking out. So thanks to Connor, Whitney, and the gang, homefieldapparel.com. Shout out to the Indiana football Hoosiers uh, for their big win and Sean Shivers. Great moment for Sean Shivers. Also loved him him and his uh, family clapping back at Haters Online this weekend. That was also a very fun uh, addition as well. But uh, shout out to the Hoosiers and shout out to Homefield Apparel for getting us, um, you know, for, for helping us out on the show. And uh, the Homefield will be dropping more and more stuff here uh, soon uh, that I think people are going to be interested in around here. Just to throw that out. Um, all right, let's move. Let's move on. Defense, defense, Dan. Defense. All right. Uh, first off, I don't think you can start anything with the defense without saying, "Good grief, Cam Riley." Weren't you excited to start your first game? Uh, Cam Riley, 15 tackles. He had more tackles last night against Mercer, 15, than he had all of last season as a backup linebacker. He had 14. Um, 15 tackles. He had had three times as many tackles as the next closest guys on the team, uh, which were Donovan Kaufman and Keontae Scott. Uh, Fantastic game for for Cam Riley. We have heard all offseason that Cam Riley was going to take that step forward. Again, it's Mercer, it's Mercer, it's Mercer. But on defense, it's like just being around the ball as often as he was, no matter the opponent, it's going to give you a ton of value. This dude's bigger, he's stronger, and he looks even faster this year, which is crazy to think about. Um, Huge, huge game for those of you out there in Cam Riley Hive. Um, And I know there are quite a few of you uh, that were excited to see this dude. Dan, he was was all over the place. This was a, again, the opponent is the opponent, but this is one of the more impressive linebacker games I remember for Auburn in quite some time. Yeah, I was interested to see how they divide up the playing time after the departures of Zacoby McLean and Chandler Wooten last year. You knew that assuming Owen Papo was ready to contribute and be his former self, there was still going to need to be some emergence at linebacker, and Cam Riley was extremely impressive last night. I mean, he already stands out physically because of the height you've written about you know, it's it's rare to have a linebacker with those dimensions uh, at, at that position. 
uh, at biggest Auburn. linebacker for Auburn, biggest inside linebacker yeah. for Auburn since since Carlos Gansby. I mean, I mean, it's somebody that it you know initially you know it's 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 intriguing because you know it's it's a little bit unusual uh, for for someone that big to be able to play the position, but he can play the position, uh, or at least last night certainly looked like he's capable of of playing the position. You know, a defensive player. Uh, and not not to short sell. I mean, Cam Riley was was outstanding, and it's it's great to see that that he's uh, you know ready to jump into the fray at, at linebacker. I thought Ekuliota was sensational last Fantastic. night, and that's Correct. a that's a guy who, amid all the talent on defense, you know, I wonder if it it, it almost you know it's underappreciated a little bit how uh, useful and productive and good Ekuliota was in big moments last year and I mean in the first half last night that you know it seemed like Cam Riley and Ekuliota were you know one or the other was around every single tackle when Mercer yeah. tried to run the ball and yeah I just really and Derek Hall as well was was involved in his share of of plays but yeah I, I thought yeah, that- yeah I thought Eku was was outstanding he had that one sack where that quarterback tried to get away from him tried to juke him and it was just like this man's got a wingspan the size of a telephone pole. You're not you're not going to get around him. Uh, thought that was, thought that was impressive. Yeah, t- to to your point, the defensive front definitely did their job in this game. Not as not a ton of sacks, not a ton of tackles for loss, but Mercer was doing a lot of eye candy, a lot of get out the ball as quick as you can, and Auburn kept everything in front of him, which was going to be key in this game. Seventy four rushing yards for Mercer on thirty one attempts. Um, you take out the sacks, just two point seven yards per carry. It's a great number against anybody. Uh, they did a really good job of shutting that down uh, in the running game. Passing game, there were some moments where things didn't look great. Nehemiah Pritchett had some good stops. I thought Jalen Simpson had some good plays in coverage. Some other guys did a job as well. But Mercer got got up and, and got a couple of touchdowns. You know, short, short yardage situations, but got up and got a couple of touchdowns on them. There was a third and long against the second string defense late that they converted, that Mercer converted. Um, there were some other third down plays. Got to tighten up back there in, in those areas. Got to improve from that. Um, but I think the big thing there is, you know, the one thing we talked about heading into the game was like if, if Mercer was going to hang around, it was going to be big plays. You know, that was something they, they lit up um, Moorhead State last week in week zero with them that was kind of the identity of their offense last season a lot of big plays a lot of big numbers from them when they were when they were rolling well last night mercer longest pass play of the game was 26 yards um on the it was that third and 20 that got that got uh, over zion puckett um had another 24 yarder late only one 10 yard rush uh, rush the whole game that was the longest one of the night so they kept everything in front of them and i thought the numbers stayed pretty positive you look at the drives from this one mercer punt 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 touchdown on a short field punt 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 field goal on a a field goal on a drive that probably under normal circumstances wouldn't have gone that way that was the high snap on the punt which i didn't know you could still have roughing the kick roughing the kicker after the punt travels that far the, the snap travels that far back but that's how they converted it was a little it was a tough break for Auburn, and then the late touchdown, of course. But Auburn did a lot. There were four three and outs, a couple of five and outs, like good drives, good drives from Auburn. I thought the defense played well. So, so we we thought going in, speaking of the secondary, you know, we, we thought going in, Nehemiah, um, 
Simpson, Kaufman, and Zion Puckett, you know, sort of a core four in the secondary, guys that were, are going to be on the field on, on virtually every play. The question is how many other defensive backs and who of those defensive backs is out there. Caden Bridges was out there a lot in the, in, in the first half. Um, I believe he started. I, I believe I believe he started as well. You and know, Auburn started in a true three-four look. You know, Keontae didn't. Uh, it, it took him a little while to put Keontae out there on defense. He was returning punts, I think, before he was actually logging snaps on he, on defense. It was JD Rim and it was DJ James that were the next corners out there after uh, after Nehemiah and and Jalen. Yeah, and Keontae Scott ended up finishing the game with five tackles, second most on the team. So like he got out there and got out. We'll say we can talk about special teams, I guess, a little bit towards the end. But Keontae Scott, I thought, looked really good as a punt returner. Um, not to take anything away from Javarius Johnson, I just think Keontae Scott uh, looked really good in that that aspect. Well, and if and if VAR is going to be such a big part of the offense, you know, maybe they would maybe they would desire having somebody else in the role of the primary punt returner. I, I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe they'll see it as an opportunity to get VAR another touch. But but I could see that as as uh, maybe you know it's it's going to be number six. Uh, no, no matter what, it's just a matter of it's going to be is it going to be Var? Is it going to be Keontae Scott? I will say this also. Um, correct myself there. Caden Bridges did not start, but he was on the field quite a bit um, in that one, especially when you had Nehemiah in the in the nickel position, like we thought. Um, yeah, just I, I think there's just some stuff in the back end. I think Nehemiah Pritchett said it best. I think we can improve on anything on everything in the back end. Sure, um, that was. You know, you're going to get into a situation where if a team is going to throw – they didn't throw the ball deep at all. Um, they got the ball out of their quarterback's hands a lot. So, I wouldn't go nuts about the sack count. Last season, if I remember correctly uh, – I'm going to pull this up here real quick. Last season, Auburn had uh, – you know, they teed off in that first game against um, Akron. Think against yeah Alabama State they only had two sacks in that game kind of a similar situation where it's like an FCS team's like we got to get it out we got to get it out like we can't we can't hold on to this thing so I wouldn't worry too much about the pass rush I wouldn't worry too much about the sacks um, I thought they were very effective in that aspect but yeah some of those one on one balls that you get beat on in, in the secondary you just got to tighten tighten that up um, but I thought when the first string defense was out there and intact the only points they gave up came on a short field. Uh, caused by that T.J. Finley interception. So that was about as, as good as you would want it on that. You know, Derek Hall ca- called it a B-plus game for the defense. I tend to agree with a guy like him in that aspect. Yeah, usually I'll defer to Derek in, in these in these situations as well. I'm right there with you. I uh, You know, and I think some of it too is Mercer's such a unique offense that, you know, how, how much can you, uh, you know, how, how much can you project performance by a defense against a group like that, good or bad, moving forward when they start playing against teams that are stylistically pretty different from what uh, from, from what Mercer tries to do or how Mercer matches up with Auburn. So, yeah, I'm interested to see how the pass rush looks next week because you, I mean, you have to have a pass rush against Penn State, right? I mean, we saw that last to. year. We saw that last year, and, and you saw it uh, Thursday night when Purdue folded like Superman doing laundry with with a lead against the uh, against the Nittany Lions uh, in 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 that in that football game. What what in the world was Jeff Brom doing in that game? <laughs> they had the ball with the lead in the fourth quarter, and I think he called it was like eight of nine plays or passes. 
And, like, going incomplete, too. Not just like, hey, well, we'll dump it off short and it'll be like an extended running play. Like, no, they were, like, throwing it downfield and it not working. Um, I think I mean, Penn State Penn State punts with four and a half minutes left, right? I mean, Penn State punts away down three with, with, with four and a half minutes to go and they still get the ball back and can orchestrate a really long touchdown drive because, yeah, like you said, some – some questionable decisions to protect their lead there in uh, in, in West Lafayette. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. Uh, anything more on the defense? You don't want to like just brush it off. I, I, I thought the defensive line did exactly what the defensive line thought. Heading into the game, pointed this out on Twitter. Mercer's starting right guard was smaller than John Samuel Shanker, six two, two fifty. Jason Jones <laughs> Jason Jones had a significant size advantage over him. And so it was like, yeah, there was a lot of that where you just expect him, like, we're going to stop it. And, again, sacks, you want more, you want more for sure. I'm looking at PFF numbers after. Auburn was credited for 10 pass rush uh, uh, pressures in that game, total pa- uh, pressures in that game. You know, Mercer dropped back to pass probably 35, 36, 37 times. So, like, Good numbers. I mean, not not crazy, but pretty good numbers. I think Derek Hall had, yeah, Derek Hall had uh, had had a good pass rush tonight. So, wouldn't wouldn't stress too much about that. But always stuff to build on uh, from a game like that. I just thought the one thing you would see from Mercer that could get them that would keep them in this game, keep them going, was the big play. And Auburn kept everything in front of them and didn't really let them go. And the plays they did hit. They were mixing different guys on the field. A lot of that success came after the, after the uh, the the delay, and it's 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 just kind of hard to keep focus a hundred percent on that. Who else did you get a sense of, of anyone else in the secondary that you might see more often after that after that core four? I mean, you, you mentioned Keontae Scott had a lot of tackles, and and maybe they you know again it was it was tough to evaluate that much that much in coverage, but yeah, it did seem like DJ James. And JD Rim were, were both Rim, were, yeah. were both you know out, out there pr- pretty early in the uh, in, in the game. We'll say they seem to rotate a little bit more. I, th- I saw you know Marquise Gilbert got in the game, um, had a tackle. Uh, I believe that I saw, yeah, I believe I saw Craig McDonald there at, at times. Um, also, you know, rotating some of the younger guys up front that was something I think people were worried about last season. And, and yeah, there were some key guys getting some minutes late, but. Jeffrey Umbaugh in the game early. Um, looking at the looking at the final stats, Dylan Brooks. I was going to say D- Dylan Brooks in the game pretty early in his. Uh, yeah. those are his those are his first snaps, right? Of, of, of right. defense. Yep. Marquise Robinson getting a tackle as well. Um, getting a lot of different guys in there and, and, and mixing them up and moving them around. Got to rotate it. Got to rotate it. West Steiner. Um, you know the legend of Jake Levant continues. Uh, he was out there for some stretches. Uh, Eugene Asante getting on the field as well. So like, I think Auburn got a good chunk of their two deep and, and got to dip in a little bit to that third wave uh, on defense, which is exactly what you want in that situation. Um, I think Brian Brian Hart Brian Hartson said after the game they didn't get to do as much as they wanted to do on offense, and I think some on defense as well when it comes to personnel because of the rain delay, because of just how, like, hey, let's get out of here kind of kind of approach to the fourth quarter. Um, but, yeah, I, I thought, uh, yeah, I thought the, you know, Keontae Scott, J.D. Ram, D.J. James getting involved and, like, being active when they got out there I thought was really important for this Auburn team because that, that core four 
is going to do a lot for you, but you need that next wave to get going. It's kind of like it's it's almost the absence of a story is is the story, right? The absence of an injury to to one of these guys that we have right. to talk about, or the absence Zach, of Zachevis Walker, the only yeah. guy that I saw scholarship wise that didn't dress yesterday, and we knew he was going to be out. Right, and it didn't seem like anybody got banged up as, as far as we could tell in any significant way, as far as defensive nope. players go, uh, and and the absence of a. A, a glaring weakness on this defense that you're worried about is is sort of something else that that makes it difficult to uh, to, to analyze in in great depth because it, it seems it seems pretty solid across the board right now. We'll find out as it goes forward. You know, I'm I'm interested to see how the the coverage holds up against better, more sophisticated passing sure. offenses. But uh, that that's not to say that I would expect them to be at a serious disadvantage because Auburn's got some guys. In, in Pritchett and Simpson, we, we haven't talked about Kaufman that much. I thought Kaufman was in on a lot of plays in, in the first mm-hmm. half as well, and, and that's somebody who, you know, it, it seems clear that, that Kaufman and Zion Puckett are uh, much more comfortable instructing their teammates as far as where they're supposed to be and, you know, m- making sure everything is lined up operationally. You know, th- th- these guys defensively mm-hmm. are, are big parts of, of making sure everything is where it needs to be before the snap, and, and you could see that in a lot of what Donovan Kaufman was doing last night. So, so yeah, I think it's the fact that you don't have something you're really worried about at the moment with this defense, and the things that you were curious about, like Cam Riley, like the new arrivals in the secondary, you know, I, I, I yeah. thought it was, it was uh, so far so good. Uh, not a whole lot to talk about special teams-wise because uh, Mercer refused to kick it deep. Um, which I thought was an interesting strategy. Your uh, one ball popped to Jarquez Hunter late, but uh, your kick returners were John Samuel Shanker and uh, I believe it was Tyler Fromm. We <laughs> got the first two there. We talked about the kick returners, the, uh, the punt returners. I thought I thought Keontae Scott looked good in his work. You mentioned it. Maybe if Javarius Johnson has a even bigger role in the offense, maybe Keontae Scott pays away, but. It, they had them listed as co-starters, and they got they each got uh, well. Keontae got three, and Javarius got two, in that aspect. Oscar Chapman, his lone punt of the game, kind of came off the side of his foot, but it still went down to the eleven. So you'll take it, but could obviously do better there. Uh, and then you know, uh, I think not really into no dangerous kick returns. No, uh, no that, field, no field goal attempts, right? No field goal attempts. They thought Andres Carlson looked like he had a, some pretty good power behind his kickoff attempts. Man, uh, Jarquez Hunter ate a dude alive on the one of those kick on one of those kick coverages. Um, so good, good play for him. Yeah, exactly what you want. Uh, I think that my biggest special teams takeaway from that game was, man, Mercer's punters are really good. <laughs> he hit a couple of rockets in that game, uh, and um, you know, obviously got that you know running into the kicker call that kept that drive alive, but. Um, yeah, he he did he did really really well. Shout out to that guy. Yeah, I, I knew uh, I knew very little about Mercer other than what I saw, you know, in, in highlight reels from from the game they'd already played. But uh, no, that punter was was impressive. And as, as far as Auburn's personnel goes, um, I, I wanted to, uh, you know, one thing. Uh, so uh, McPherson got a uh, got a got a kickoff, right? It was. Um, uh, I believe I believe one of the one of the kickoffs was wasn't it by uh, by. Uh, by Evan, I could have, I could have, I could have uh, sworn they let, um, they, they let, they let the new arrival, the true freshman, kick off one of those, uh, one, one of them, and and if so, it was because 
it, it seemed like his, his kick went, it, it seemed like a sky kick at first, but then it lands in the end zone or just shy of the end zone. It's, it's another example of, of Auburn's new arrival, the, uh, the true freshman kicker. I could have sworn he kicked off one of the one of the one of the kickoffs but um, I have it all as Anders. Is that right? Okay, so man, I I could be wrong about that, but I I could have sworn that uh, that 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 Mac uh you know was uh was was the kick on on one of them, but no, I, I think Auburn it's 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 really promising what you got at punter and kicker. I mean, it, it's it was already, you know, these are two guys coming off of, of outstanding seasons. And then yeah, you didn't get a chance to see too much Vars fearless as a punt returner. Um, and and so I, I wonder if, I wonder if there's also a decision to go with Keontae Scott for VAR's own good because you know that that's a guy who will I mean I mean he he will he he is confident when he catches that punt return that, that he can do something really special with it and Keontae Scott we've heard that this is a really uh, you know a, a really dangerous guy with the ball in his hands and and maybe maybe moving forward Auburn gets an opportunity to see that on a I punt just, return too. Uh, it, it, it. Again, you have to you have to say it pretty much every time you bring up Keontae Scott. This dude was the last guy to arrive on campus for this team right before the start of fall camp. He starts making plays immediately when he comes in. He's the he's the co-starter at punt returner, gets on the field and gets active pretty quickly in his debut at, at corner as well. So, yeah, he did an exceptional job uh, of uh, of coming in and, and and making an instant impact. And you'll have some other guys, I think, do that as well. Um, you know, the the uh, that that's going to be something I think where uh, Auburn can really lean on him in a, in a number of ways. And even if he's not a starter, because you have two really good cornerbacks and you have a guy in Javarius who has experience a punt returner, can really help you out. I think that's a, the other thing. When you go back to Robbie Ashford, when you go back to all the receivers, the running backs, everybody got in on defense, the multiple offensive linemen. You know, it's early. You're going to sort some things out and you figure some things out. But the one thing about this this game and this team is that, you know, Brian Harson put his stamp on this roster. He put his stamp on the, these schemes. They've kind of been more Boise. They've been more, you know, his style, his way of, of, of doing things. And in this game, you saw where the positives of that can come from, where a lot of different dudes eat, a lot of different dudes contribute. And you're not overly relying on just a few guys, um, which I think is – you know, if you're going up against really, really tough opponents, you know that's a better strategy than just like putting all your eggs in, in a couple of baskets. And you and you saw the potential for big plays from from this offense too in, in the first half. There were you know the deep balls to Var, the uh, you know the the explosiveness of Tank Bigsby. Now Robbie Ashford is part of that equation as well, and and that's that you know that that leaves off some some guys that are capable of making big plays potentially as well for the Auburn offense. So, yeah, I think that the, um, you know, the, the results were, even if there's still a somewhat murky quarterback picture moving forward, I thought there were some really promising results elsewhere on the offense. That makes me wonder, yeah, I mean, if they can get that straightened out and they can get production, I mean, in, 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 this, in this era of college football, in this season, and, and based on what we saw, granted it's a small sample size, just one week so far, two weeks for a couple of teams, but you know, one full week of, of college football action. I mean, I, I think if Auburn, if Auburn can straighten things out at quarterback, they, they're capable of, of being a, you know, that, that, that Auburn team that makes life difficult for a lot of the other teams in the SEC. 100%. Uh, they, 
again, this is that's going to be the key to being a good team this year is get whatever you've got going on at quarterback, whether it is one quarterback, two quarterbacks, whoever it is, get that settled, get that rolling, um, be able to rely on that running game, and then trust your defense to continue to play really, really well. And, yeah, um, you're going to play – a couple of teams that have more talent than you on paper at home at LSU and Texas A&M, and when Auburn's good, that home field advantage is as good as it gets in college football in terms of helping you out. Um, you play two your two biggest rivals away from home in games that everybody knows are going to be really difficult. And then every other team you play, um, you have more talent than them or equal talent to them, like a Penn State, and you play Penn State at home. like So it's going to be about just executing and, and – and not, you know, giving it up, you know, not giving it up too much, not making the mistakes that cost you down the stretch last season. Those have got to flip around, especially at home, and win those games early. Yeah, and it's important to distinguish, too, like getting getting things sorted out at quarterback for this team isn't you need someone to go 80% completion percentage and 375-plus yards and five touchdowns every single week at quarter. Now, that'd be great. I'm not, I'm not turning that – option down if someone can emerge and do that but you know yeah. it, it seems like getting getting this situated at quarterback is more keeping things efficient mm-hmm. providing the occasional big play but really providing something legitimate enough that a defense has to back off and they can't play overly focused on stopping Auburn's run game because if you can back the defense off even a little bit with some of the big play possibilities you've got on the offense you know you, you could have something that uh, you, you could have something that, when it gets rolling, is more dangerous than people realize at the moment. Yeah, it was, and I would say this: when it was rolling in the first half, that offense again against Mercer, I thought the schemes and the personnel usage and just the variety—I thought it was fun. It looked fun, um, you know. And I think when you do stuff like that sweep triple option with two quarterbacks, it just keeps guys engaged. And, and I think this team looked a lot more locked in than they did at this point earlier. And they blew out. Akron was awful last year, and Alabama State was as well. Um, You know, but you can't – you can't uh, overlook the fact that I thought this team operationally looked a lot different than they did uh, last season at this time. And with some new pieces, some new faces, they put forth a a starting effort where, like Harson said – there's going to be plenty of stuff they're going to be able to circle and highlight and say, you got to get better at this, you got to get better at this, you got to get better at this, especially the passing game. But this is a good building block game to build on uh, moving forward. And on top of that, you play a team in San Jose State next week that isn't overly terrifying as a group of five opponent goes. And then you play a Penn State team, which first big game in Jordan-Hare this season should be a whole lot of fun. Yeah, and, and I'm not in the business of taking unnecessary shots at Bo Nix, but but I do I do think that as the season progresses, we're going to see that maybe Bo's style of scramble around and make a play isn't all that compatible with what Brian Harson really wants out of his quarterbacks. When Robbie Ashford ran last night, it seemed like it was with the purpose of getting upfield, not extending the play. You know, yes. they, they, it wasn't uh, you know try to try to out athlete guys in the backfield and then find a receiver uh, who's breaking open. It's much more get positive yardage when you can or get rid of the football, which sounds more in line with what Brian Harson you know is sort of expecting from his quarterbacks, and maybe not exactly how Bo Nix 
plays the position or desires to play the position. So, yeah, I do think that with TJ and Robbie Ashford and whatever combination we get of the two of them moving forward, again, you get enough production out of that, you keep your key figures healthy, and the potential is there for Auburn to outperform expectations for sure. I will, before we go, I will add one more thing I want to do. Uh, week one of college football in the books. Anything stand out to you? We talked about Georgia, Oregon, and and the and the bloodshed there. Florida coming off with a big win against Utah at home. I mean, what a what a great start! What an ideal start for that new staff that has been preaching patience, but to beat what a lot of people thought was going to be an awesome, and I think still will be a really good Utah team. Uh, was big, but anything else kind of catch your eye from that one um, from, from from week one? You know, I, I think that the headlines, I mean, you nailed that Georgia's dominance in a game that was supposed to be pretty close, and then Florida, uh, and, and it's not a massive upset, right? I mean, Florida was favored at, at some point in the last couple of weeks, I think, and, you know, did, I think it bounced around uh, the, the actual point spread on, on that game. But, no, it's a big win for Billy Napier. It's a big win for Anthony Richardson. It's a big win for a Florida team that wants to get competitive in the SEC East again really quickly. I mean, I think there's uh, – I was I, – I, I caught a little bit of, of South Carolina-Georgia State uh, because I, I thought maybe that was a game where South Carolina could uh, find – you know, if they, if they weren't sharp early, Georgia State, as, as Auburn knows – it, you know, if you're not yeah. sharp, Georgia State will put the uh, you know the fear of uh, of, of the Almighty uh, into you, yes. and uh, and I'm not talking about Miro. So <laughs> South Carolina, and and I think it's it's two blocked punts is how South Carolina ends up pulling away. I mean, they were leading 12 to seven over yeah. Georgia State, and Spencer Rattler was struggling. He had a little bit, he had a more productive third quarter, but South Carolina still needed special teams plays to 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 put. Uh, Georgia State away, so yeah, I, I was. Um, G- Georgia is is the thing that really stood out to me from from yesterday, and and how, you know, how, how much that machine is still humming at, you know, at, at maximum at maximum capacity. Backyard brawl was a whole lot of fun. Uh, glad that game is back in our lives. Hopefully, it'll. I, they should play it every year, but really, really fun game. Um, Ohio State not lighting it up. I thought Spokal only won by 11 at home. To And, again, it's a top-five game. But, you know, Notre Dame's going to be a work in progress on offense. But I think Marcus Freeman's defense, you know, that's I, – I had I had Notre Dame covering in this game because I just thought, man, like that's a lot of points against a really good team. Uh, and so Ohio State, that was a defensive struggle. A&M was messing around with Sam Houston for a while on offense and then kind of – Put put it in uh, put it in uh, the next gear after after they they had a rain delay of their own. I, I thought I kept watching that game and thinking like, what in the world is happening there? I do know folks are are talking about the Pac-12 at the moment, and, and you know I don't, I don't care about that conference anymore. UCLA's jumping ship, and and it does seem like the the two best teams in that league, or, or two of the two of the three best teams in that league at the moment, might be in the city of Los Angeles. I mean USC. UCLA was messing around yesterday I, for a little while. I know Bowling Bowling Green will get you if you don't uh, if, if you don't Scott Leffler, man. Yeah, if you don't put if you don't put them away, uh, Bowling Green. But but and you know, Justin, I don't know if we've ever talked about this, but everyone there's been a lot made of the historic 
quarterback class of this year and, and the 2023 NFL draft and how many of those guys are viewed as franchise saviors or at least guys that could start immediately between Bryce and Stroud and whoever you think is the third best guy because there's a whole bunch of them. Yeah. If you gave me the option of any quarterback in college football for the rest of their career, I could have them as a pro, I'll take Caleb Williams. Like, I mean, that, that's the guy to me. I mean, and so if USC can figure out some other things, they've got, you know, the difference maker at the position in college football. Uh, and, and they're, you know, I, I don't expect Lincoln Riley and Caleb Williams to, you know, it, it's not, they're not going to be really patient, you know, before, before USC needs to, needs to be good. I mean, it, it, that's something that might happen. Uh, it, it, might be, it, it, might, it might be a matter of weeks. They might be the best team in the league right now. You know, yeah. out, out there, and sure. um, you know, and I don't, I don't think anybody would be surprised if they won the conference or if Caleb Williams was the most outstanding player, not just in that conference, but but in all of college football this year. Uh, that NC State East Carolina game was wild. Two missed field goals could have given, I mean, an extra point and a field goal for East Carolina. T- tough way to lose for sure. Um, North Carolina and App State was insane. Um, you could have said it like Justin Roberts. Yeah. <laughs> it was it, that that game was nuts and uh, wow I, I'm gonna be fascinated to see what NC State does especially on defense for the rest of the year because that was that was not fun for anybody but they gave up 40 points in the fourth quarter uh, you know to uh, to really and I should say this I should say this we've talked a lot about on our program about Arkansas um, credit where credits due we know Cincinnati's not as good as they are going uh, as they were last year obviously. Um, Arkansas was up fourteen nothing. They needed to hang on for a, for a touchdown win, thirty one twenty four. Really good line for KJ Jefferson in that game against a Cincinnati defense that doesn't have Sauce Gardner, doesn't have some of the same pieces they had last year. They got into the playoff, but KJ Jefferson played really well. That Arkansas team is going to be going to be some 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 bad news uh, for for a lot of teams they play this year. As you know, maybe we expect. I I should give should give more respect to KJ, uh, and I like KJ Jefferson. Should give even more respect to KJ Jefferson and Arkansas because um, they beat a really good Cincinnati team uh, in, in week one. Yeah, I, I think Arkansas and Auburn have the similarity of when they run for 220 plus yards and they pass for 220 plus yards at home, it's going to be real tough to beat that team. And that's what Arkansas did yesterday against Cincinnati. I mean, I think it was almost exactly the same number of yards through the air and on the ground, which is, you know, that's the sort of balance. That, that coaches talk about and for a team that especially when KJ Jefferson is playing well is dangerous through the air and on the ground um yeah when, when Arkansas is humming you know you, you need your defense to be on point and you know someone had to lose between Arkansas and Cincinnati and someone was gonna have to start that season 0-1 with a, a disappointment and with Cincinnati coming off a playoff and, and Arkansas having expectations as high as they've been since Bobby Petrino was the head coach you know it was going to be deflating for somebody, but but no, I think Arkansas, uh, and, now, and now Arkansas moves on to South Carolina. You know, they, they don't get a break; they jump right into conference play uh, next week. So yeah, it's a uh, uh, it, it's a, it's a big win for Sam Pittman because it keeps uh, it, it keeps those expectations high. Well, that's going to do it from us. Um, Florida State LSU. I I don't expect Florida State to win that game, but I think I might just be talking that because it's LSU, and and, and it's Florida State. 
That is maybe for, for folks who wager on this sort of stuff. LSU minus three is one of the stranger lines of the entire weekend to me because you would think LSU at home against a program, or not at home, LSU in New Orleans. Basically, against, basically yeah, at home. Yeah, I, I know, I had to correct myself there officially, but, but new, uh, the LSU at home, or LSU in a neutral site against a team that struggled the way Florida State has struggled in, in the last few years, you, you would think that there would be. Uh, you know, you'd think LSU would be a very public team. That line is close. I've been hearing about Jordan Travis for years as maybe the answer at Florida State. I know he had a couple of plays in the win over the other Dukies uh, last week uh, for, uh, for for the Seminoles. But but no, I, I I think that is a total dice roll. I will I will offer that if LSU wins convincingly. Nobody in Power Five college football will have a hotter seat than Norvell after after one oh, yeah. week because for all you know whoever you think maybe is in that conversation Harson Herm Edwards Scott Frost you know take your pick uh, none of them have a Deion Sanders also succeeding you know nope. a a program icon succeeding at the HBCU level at the same time or anywhere else or anywhere yeah. else yeah. and so that's I mean. Uh, th- that is is something that's that's making it all the more important for Norvell to show something this year and probably show something tonight against LSU because if if it starts with a whimper, I, I wonder if it ends with primetime in December. Uh, I, I 100% agree with you there. All right, that will do it for this podcast. Appreciate everybody listening. Um, like I said, these – Post-game recaps will be um, available um, for free each Sunday uh, during football season. Um, I want to thank Dan for filling in for Painter today uh, on um, you know on a on a day where it was a pretty late night last night for all of us. Uh, and uh, Dan, we appreciate you hopping on and uh, give, we might. We might need to have you on here again for for a recap podcast, maybe 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 in the near future, because uh, this was a lot of fun. And you're in the press box; you're with us now. You were you were in the mix. Uh, if people need and they should uh, need more Dan Peck in their lives, where should they go? Well, I, I, you can follow me on Twitter at Daniel Allen Peck, uh, two L's and an E in Allen. You can Google Dan Peck Twitter, and, and sometimes I'm if you're into Auburn stuff and Google knows that they might put me as the first result. If you Google Dan Peck Twitter, I don't tweet too much analysis. It's usually like me retweeting the guy who has the next on TCM account, telling yes. you telling you something's coming up. That or, and the, that and that and uh, your your you know telling me about um what the how crazy the schedule is on mtv these days yeah when i when there's a cable schedule that catches my eye on social media i'll share it with folks or a, or a one line one or two line movie review or something but no i, I would hope you check it out yeah a, a, a daniel allen peck on twitter and and of course the drive with bill cameron uh the uh the guiding light himself uh, Bill Cameron is, uh, you know, is, is uh, I'm, I'm happy to do a show with him every weekday uh, on, on ESPN 106.7. RadioAlabama.net is the uh, is the website that you can go to to check out uh, how to find ESPN 106.7 on the li- on the on the web and, and listen live. Got a podcast center on that website. You can also just search for the Drive with Bill Cameron on, on all your favorite podcasting platforms, and you and you can uh, you can find the show that way. Justin's on once a week 
on top of all the other cool stuff that we uh, we do, Thursday. we talk to talk to the the experts and and take phone calls and get some yeah. uh, you know provide some analysis of our own. It's it's usually a pretty good time. Yeah, you should listen to the drive anyway. But uh, I'm on from on Thursdays usually from four to six Central Time if you want to listen to it live. And like Dan said, it's it's podcast form. Um, you know, if you don't have time to listen when it's actually on the air, uh, the the drive has a podcast that comes out every weekday. Uh, that you want to check out as well. And, yeah, you want to hear Bill Cameron because Bill Cameron's going to gonna be Auburn's next AD. We're going to just will that into existence here. Um, you hear me, Kirk? All right. Yeah, yeah, you, you got it. Uh, uh, Chris Roberts, uh, we know you listen to this podcast. We, we, we know. <laughs> you know, I, I can actually share Bill Cameron and works in the College of Engineering. Where, mm-hmm. where where Dr. Roberts was. I mean, Dr. Roberts knows Bill Cameron. I can report, ex- I, I know for sure that Dr. Roberts knows Bill Cameron and, and has, has been a listener of, of Bill Cameron's uh, for, as, for, for a long time. So, I, I don't know, BC for AD 2022. And Painter has said he wants the AD job, but if he had to lose it to anybody, he, he has said on this program it, it, he would be fine with Bill Cameron. Uh, stepping into his rifle role. Well, yeah, and I would never try to campaign against Painter. You know that—that's my—I mean, that's my number one boy, right? Like that's my—that's my boy. That's my—that's my, my, my top my top boy. That's, yeah, that's my number one boy. So I, I won't—I uh, I would would happily concede and and throw my support behind a, a Painter candidacy. But uh, but at the same time, BC for AD, you know, is is the uh, it's 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 growing. It's 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 a movement. It is a movement. All right, Dan, thank you so much for joining us. We will have to do this again in the near future. Uh, For the rest of you, we will be back later this week for our preview podcast of San Jose State. Subscribe to the Auburn Observer. We've got uh, Film Room on Monday. We have coverage all throughout the week. Mailbag on Friday. ton of stuff heading your way in your inbox if you subscribe. Um, So for those of you in the inner circle, we'll talk to you again later in the week. For the rest of you, we will be back to recap the – uh, San Jose State game next Sunday. That'll do it. Dan, this is usually a time where Painter gives his final thoughts. It can be anything. Give, give me, give, mm. give us a closing, uh, give us a closing thought uh, before we go. You know, uh, so, so Elvis is on HBO Max. Uh, have you seen? Did you see Elvis, Justin? I have not yet. I, I am. I think I'm going to do it at some point. Yeah, I think I would encourage. I would encourage you to watch uh, Elvis. I, I thought that it was very good. I, I tweeted out. I had no idea that Elvis's manager was the Penguin from Batman Returns, uh, but that is—I mean, Tom Hanks is—he's—he's uh, is, is going for it as uh, as as the as the Colonel. But but no, I wouldn't—I would encourage you to check it out. It's—it's uh, it, it's remarkable how similar it is to Walk Hard, uh, but but also at the same time totally sincere. And and I would uh, and and the mu- and the musical numbers are a lot of fun. Was I supposed to add anything more? Okay. Okay, good. All right. All right, cool.